0: Hi, guys, it's Alex here, and providing a short interrupt from this week's podcast to tell you about Sasdoc 2022. You might have heard from most of our guests that they are coming to Dublin on the 17th to the 19th of October to speak at Sasdoc 2022. You may not know that Christoph Jan's managing partner of Point9 Capital calls it the best SaaS conference for founders, execs, and investors in Europe, period. Just today, I was on LinkedIn and SaaS founder Will Reed, who's the CEO of Sideway Six, called it the best SaaS event out there. Thanks, Will. We think he's right. So let's dig in. 2022 is the conference for you if you're a SaaS founder or exec growing a SaaS company to 10 million ARR plus, anywhere from zero to 10 million ARR. And you want to learn how to do it, how to get there, how to surpass that figure. You want to learn how to overcome the odds, how to boost your velocity. You'll come away equipped from the conference with the tools to do this. The tools to accelerate your revenue, your team and runway. You will learn from the best founders in the SaaS industry with amazing speakers like Des Trainer, co-founder of Inscom, Zeb Evans, co-founder at ClickUp, Hanno Ranner, co-founder at Personio, and Alina and Nicholas Vandenberg, who are the co-founders of Chili Piper. There's 150 speakers across four stages including a state dedicated to bootstrappers. If you're not bootstrapping, there's 400 VCs coming to Dublin to meet with founders from pre-seed through to growth stage. In 2019, there was around 10,000 meetings that we recorded through our app. So if you want to meet VCs, this is the place to be this year. The networking is also second to none. It includes workshops, pub crawls, dinners, parties and much more. Mads Wedacorp, CEO of Dream Influencers, attended in 2019 and he said, SaaSTop is very likely the most awesome SAS conference in the world. The secret to getting maximum value is all of the after-hour events. It's during the dinners and the after-parties that the real connections are made. Thanks for that Mads. If you're a SAS founder or part of the exec team of a SAS company you want to meet your peers, you want to grow your business past 10 million ARR, you want to meet investors to fund your SaaS company, you want a few days to inspire you, then you need to be at SaaSDot2022 at the RDS, 17th to the 19th of October in Dublin, Ireland. Come and join the fun. Get your ticket now at sasdoc.com forward slash SASDOC slash 2022. Use code SaaSrevolution, all lowercase in one word, for a 30% discount. That's code Revolution. With 30% discount. Now on with the show.
1: It's very much things that don't scale. You don't need a lot of customers. You can do this stuff an hour a day. Set an hour a day of sourcing your own customers, and you'll get their customers. And people are very much, you know, not everybody's going to have time to engage with you, but most people we reach out to were actually pretty, pretty engaged. They really wanted to give something else a chance. You've got to find the right people for sure. You can't cast a massive net at first and just target anybody. You've really got to target the people that have the problems, the pain points that you're solving. And that's that's a really important niche to focus on, a, a segment to focus on, is find the people that have the problems that you are solving. And this seems very obvious, but solve problems that you are intimately familiar with. You can't solve problems well if you haven't been through those same problems and experienced those same pain points yourself.
0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the SaaS Revolution show brought to you by SaaStock, the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth, and scale. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and I am delighted to be joined today by Zeb Evans, who is the founder and CEO of ClickUp. Welcome, Zeb.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Alex.
0: Yeah, great to have you on the podcast. We've got you on just in time, just before Zastop 2022, uh, which uh, we were just talking about your flying over from San Diego to come to Dublin for the first time, I believe.
1: I am i'm I'm really excited to get out there. It's my first time actually in in both London and Dublin, and we've got a, a large EMEA presence out there, so I'm really excited to see both our customers and employees.
0: Very cool, very cool and two great places uh, uh, as well two very uh, fun cities. Um, so I'm sure you have a good time. Uh, Zeb, uh, like we always like to start to you know get to know I guess a little bit better. Um, so I'm going to start with the question, uh, who is Zeb Evans?
1: Look, I've always been an entrepreneur since I was born, since I was three or four years old, I was that kid that was selling everything I could get my hands on. I was creating experiences from scratch. I, uh, I got suspended three times in elementary school for for selling things like Beanie Babies and candy. Um, so I think at at my core, I had always been an entrepreneur. I, d- I don't know where it came from. I didn't have anybody in my family that was an entrepreneur. It really, as weird as it sounds, it just feels like I was just kind of like born to to do it. And I had I'm from North Carolina, and so out there, you know, it's not it's not much technology. It's it's more traditional businesses, especially when I when I was growing up. And I kind of got exposed to technology by by chance. I, I've had several near-death experiences And one of them, um, I was in a hospital for two months And there was a laptop in the hospital that I started using And that was before really anybody had access to technology Especially where I was from And so that kind of gave me this, this marriage between technology and entrepreneurship And largely that is is who I've, I've become today I'm very passionate about making people more productive And using every minute that we have on this planet uh, for improvement
0: very, very cool. Thanks for sharing that. I mean, similarly, it, I don't, it must be a entrepreneurial thing potentially, but uh, I mean, as a kid as well myself, uh, I used to like after church, you know, get my dad to take me to the sweet shop or, you know, the candy store to buy loads of sweets to so that I could then sell at school, you know, that week and, you know, run my own, you know, illegal bootleg candy store, which I, you know, inevitably as a child, you do get caught doing these things and uh, I don't don't think I got suspended, but uh, definitely I got in a lot of trouble uh, as well. But uh, good good markup, good margins on uh, those things uh, uh, as well.
1: Yeah, good good margins, and it, it just doesn't last quickly because, you're, as you're 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 alluding to, the the teachers find out that their lunch money is being spent on on candy.
0: Exactly, and I I know I think what it, is it from Scarface? It says don't get high on your own supply, but uh, I don't want the candy equivalent. It's uh, but uh, don't get the sugar rush from <laughs> when your own candy. I saw on LinkedIn um, that you mentioned you you were a monorail driver. Uh, at Walt Disney World I'm sure you've been asked this before is there anything that you you learned from doing that that has helped you you know uh, uh, as an entrepreneur
1: i uh, absolutely i think disney world in general has a great brand for customer support and you know i to be honest i don't think it's as good as it was back when i when i worked there thir- 13 14 years ago but the point is that Working there, you experience a real empathy for customers. You are on the front lines. You t- you learn to speak to customers. Uh, I you know, I learned I, I I really learned to ask the right questions to get the right answers because everybody's been at a restaurant where a waiter comes around and says, "Everything good." Or you know how's how's it going over here? No, nope, you never give them bad feedback or even neutral feedback. It's always yeah, everything's good, even if it isn't good. I think what I learned at Disney was true empathy for customers and really being able to to get to the bottom of their issues and get them to describe the issues and the solutions. You can get them to come to the solutions many times. And I've taken that to ClickUp in a in a really uh, I think more exponential way than I did at Disney Disney World where we intimately connect with customers on a daily basis through our feedback platforms and listen to what they're really thinking, how they feel, what solutions do they have, What solutions do we have? Making sure that they are aligned to the solution that we are building. And I think that at its core is is something that's really important for all businesses, especially on the early stages, is to talk, talk, talk to your customers. Every single person in the company early on should be talking with your customers. So if you're under 10, arguably 15 or so people, every single person should be monitoring customer support. They should be listening and interacting with customers and responding to them. And I think you end up building this extreme empathy for customers that enable you to build a much better product. And it it gets customer support built into your DNA. Because at the end of the day, people do have options, regardless of what category you're in. There are other options, there is competition. And if you can stand out through customer support, it's a huge leg up. It, I
0: mean, great point. So I, it's one of these things that certainly... I, I hear often from you know podcast guests about the importance of speaking to your customers, but then I also probably see that in practice happen you know less less than it should with with, with a lot of companies, right? But uh, we, I mean I don't know, uh, and I'm sure we're going to get into it, but whether speaking to your customers and from that lesson from Walt Disney is perhaps one pillar of the the secrets to your success with ClickUp, would you would you attribute that to be true?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Uh, and then look, click up. So look, I, I, I mean, let's not make assumptions. Like, I, I, we're customers. Uh, we see it all over the place. So when, when you come to London, you'll probably see it. Uh, I mean, if you're running campaigns on the tube, but we, we've seen that and you know, probably at airports, etc. Um, you, you know, it, it, it definitely is very present, uh, you, you know, around the city. Um, what is it? What is the founding story?
1: We actually built ClickUp as an internal tool at first in order to solve our own frustrations with productivity software. And like I mentioned earlier on, I've had several near-death experiences and each of those really gave me this kind of obsession with productivity and efficiency. And I had started a previous company before that did basically social media automation and engagement and reporting before that stuff existed. Through that journey which was ended up being a small company about 20-25 people we had this dance with productivity software where we started with just a single tool we started with basecamp and then we ended up literally with 15 different productivity tools at a 25 person company and I could not help but think that each of these tools, yes, had a, a reason and a purpose, and we had to use additional tools in order to accomplish what we needed through a project management lens and productivity lens, but that it was not net positive using these tools because of the inefficiency in the way that they're connected to each other, which at the time, they weren't connected to each other at all. So. We built ClickUp literally as an internal tool to make ourselves more productive. And the first premise was just being able to put all of our work in one place, having a platform that was extremely customizable and flexible so that there aren't all of these opinions and how you have to work. And that itself just enables you to do so much more in a single platform rather than having to use so many different tools. It was very this wasn't a Slack story where it took us years to figure out we want to do it as an internal tool. It was literally weeks. It was probably four weeks where we didn't even have anything close to an MVP. But we just knew that this was this was the thing that we were gonna focus on for the rest of our lives in many ways. And I was so obsessed with and still am with productivity. The team became very obsessed with efficiency and saving ourselves time. And early on, we changed that script to not saving ourselves time, to really saving the world time, making people more productive. So we're not fully there yet. When it comes to our our vision, but we've we've made huge leaps forward, and I think the category as a whole and productivity has started to head more towards that convergence that we saw early on.
0: Just jumping on something that you said uh, there about the near death experiences, like we're not talking, or, or are you talking startup near death experiences, or are you talking about your own self near death experiences?
1: My own self near death experiences, although there were many startup near death experiences also.
0: Okay. Uh, anything you can, I mean, do you do you want to get into that? Anything that you can share in terms of like what, what happened there? You, you, um, uh, so the audience can un- understand that or is that, is that something that you don't want to discuss? Yeah.
1: No, I'm, I'm always ha- happy to, sh- I think everything happens for, for a reason. And, and uh, like every, every time I tell people about a near death experience, you almost feel like people are like feeling sorry for you. and I'm like, no, like this is the the best thing that could have happened to me. Each of them changed my life. And I think it's important to look at everything in life through that lens. Every negative event that happens, there can be positive that comes out to it. It's very hard to see it immediately. Um, it's hard to train your brain to see it immediately. But it is very, very obvious in hindsight that those those events, if you use them right, can be very pivotal Pieces in life. Uh, the second one that I had, I was I was robbed at gunpoint in a home invasion, and I was put in a closet by a seventeen-year-old kid with a gun to my head, and was looking for things to steal that I didn't have, and he thought that I had more money than I had, and I didn't. Um, I, I I had a sm- very small entertainment company at the time, and um, there was no money. <laughs> All of that money was was wrapped up in our expenses, and. Uh, you know, I, I, that, that was the first time where I thought I, my, my other near death experiences were very quick and I didn't have time to think this one. I had several minutes, which felt like a long time to think about the future of my life. And what I realized during those few minutes and it wasn't an out-of-body experience like everyone talks about. I've never ha- actually had one, one of one of those. But this was more like a futuristic experience where I was I was just envisioning what is going to happen in 5 years, 10 years, 20 years from now if I'm on the same path. And I realized I had to change my path sig- significantly. And so a couple of changes I made in, in my life were uh, I, I dropped out of college. So I, I, went, I went to college for about a year and a half, and then I, I dropped out immediately. I actually learned how to code. I always knew basic HTML and CSS, but I didn't know how to actually program. So I learned PHP and I I started actually programming and coding after I dropped out of school. So that near death experience really, if I hadn't had that one, it wouldn't have enabled me to create my first technology app that ended up you know being a small business. But also would not have I would not have been exposed to those productivity problems that we're solving with ClickUp today. Therefore, ClickUp wouldn't wouldn't exist. Awesome.
0: Uh, well, thanks for sharing that. And you you know I, I've heard but not not uh, that often, but similar things where, you you know, like, uh, let's say such a situation has really kind of forced somebody to kind of change perhaps, you know, who, who they were and then actually then create them on that path to be, you know, an entrepreneur and a, a very successful one uh, at that. Uh, and, and now ClickUp is, you know, uh, a, a very large company. I think uh, I saw like 919 employees uh, uh, it, it, on, on LinkedIn. Uh, can you share a little bit of data in terms of, uh, well, I I've I've kind of said like how many employees, but um, you, you know maybe how much you've raised uh, uh, revenue if you can share. Yeah, anything just to help the the audience get a, a better picture of the size of the business that that you have today.
1: Yeah, we, we raised $535 million uh, in three rounds of venture capital, our Series A, B, B and C. And they all happened within a very, very quick period of, of time, actually. About a year and a half is when we raised our, our first time until we raised uh, the, the last time was our Series C, which was about a year ago today. And I, I think something to understand is we grew the business to a very profitable business until we were roughly $10 million in ARR. So, we did not raise venture capital at all, because I was from North Carolina, and i had uh, I didn't know how to raise venture capital. and frankly, I was a little bit scared of of venture capital people. i I heard I watched the movies and heard heard the Steve Jobs things and about investors pushing you out and and I didn't have any experience with it. So we didn't raise capital. i My whole goal was building a very profitable business. and we did. We built a very profitable business until two years ago uh, when we first raised funds. And then you raise funds, and you kind of go more towards the inefficient but growth, grow at all cost mentality. And now it's about make, being building a happy medium between growth at all costs, um, but really just growth at at efficient cost is a better way to say it. And efficiency on on this this side. And I think that's the best way to build a business is to have both of those. But the point I'm making is that early on, really should you really should be focused on efficiency and building that product first. And enabling product market fit, which I I see as, uh, generating revenue from a product. If you can generate revenue from from your product, if you can actually get people to pay for it, then that's when you you're really ready to raise a lot a lot of funds. So even though we have raised uh, half a billion dollars. I am not the person that is is out there saying go raise, raise, raise. It's it's raise, raise, raise only when you're ready to. And I think being ready is very, very subjective in many ways. But the things that are objective is that you really have to have the product there where you're confident that you are ready to to go off to the races when it comes to acquisition marketing, buying customers. And you have to be confident that your customers are going to pay for your product. And when you have those two things, I think it's 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 important, you know, to consider raising funds if you're, especially if you're in a competitive category. Um, as far as scale goes, yeah, we're, we're roughly a, a thousand employees today. Um, we don't disclose our our revenue numbers publicly, but but uh, we are above one hundred million ARR. And you know, I think we're we're very much in that that mindset right now of scalability for the future how are we I, I, when when the, the things to figure out early stage on the product as product later stage it's people and so my job right now is really building our leadership bench and uh, ensuring the organization is running efficiently and operationally
0: so congrats on bootstrapping well on everything but bootstrapping it's 10 million uh, arr Um, what changed at that point, you, you know, what, why did you then decide, okay, we're now going to go down the, the venture path?
1: I think the first thing is that I started to understand unit economics and the unit economics five years ago, we actually built our own billing system, right? You didn't really have Stripe in the same way that you do today, where it had a lot of SaaS uh, economics and, and metrics for you right out the bat. So we built our own billing system. For the first couple of years we didn't really understand our unit economics. We knew our revenue, it wasn't perfect though because the tooling there wasn't wasn't great. And when I started to to do diligence on what is our net retention rate, right? What is our customer acquisition cost? What is our payback period? I realized that we actually have a really, really, really efficient business and that if we had more capital, we could buy more customers and those customers would expand and they would pay us back in a really short period of time. It was really just a couple of months payback period at, at that time. So I knew that that the, that the from from learning that piece, I knew that more revenue that we took in, instead of hiring more people, let's also spend on growth acquisition. So we started doing that. And at the same time, we had uh, venture capital firms constantly reaching out to us, but we had Kraft reach out to us. And I really respect David Sachs. And I talked to him and he was really the first investor that I felt comfortable with having an investment for because he had seen what it looks like on the other side. He's been an entrepreneur. They understand uh, exactly what you're going through. And it it just felt like a, a, a really great connection. Somebody early on told me take on investors who you would consider marrying, right? And obviously, it's, it's, it's a bit of uh, you know, hyperbole. But the reality is that um, you really want investors that you're going to have a long-term relationship with because you take them on and they're looking for an exit. In many ways, IPO can take 10 years. And so you really want, want people around you that you feel comfortable spending a lot of time with and that you feel comfortable on a journey of building a business.
0: Great first investor uh, to get there. And yeah, uh, makes perfect sense. So we, we want to uh, just focus on this piece about like that journey to 10 million ARR because most of our listeners are are, are on that journey. Um, can you take us all the way back to, you know, how you got your first customers? How did you get the first customers to click up that were not, you know, friends or family?
1: We had, I was always big on organic marketing. So SEO, uh, I think people very much discount as SEO. Uh, I've, I've been saying this for, for a couple of years now. And I think they're, they, largely our, our competition has started, started figuring out SEO as well. But I'll say when we were zero to 10 million ARR, there really wasn't much SEO competition in our category. People were not focused on that. And so we were able to create search terms that ranked really, really high for, for free, right? Free marketing. You can write a blog, you can write a comparison page of your competitor versus another competitor you can talk about uh, industry knowledge and teaching people what project management is teaching people what the gtd method is and that's what we did and we we, we gained some early users literally just by writing blogs and creating content and those users ended up signing up for our product and we created a feedback platform we actually used, used canny but there's there's many out there we we loved canny it's really simple and easy to get started and coast customers would give us feedback and i would be on there and i read every single comment on that feedback platform and i engaged with those with those those users and that was really important because you create this this whole loop that happens this feedback cycle it doesn't matter how many users that you get early on all that matters is that you're getting some users you don't need a lot in fact you don't you shouldn't you shouldn't try to get a lot of users early on because if you get too many users you don't have time to figure out the product so you get you get some users you listen to them, you figure out the product, figure out their pain points, you ship iterations of the product, then you continuously get more users, you get more feedback, and you create this flywheel of user feedback and iterating on product. And that was that was really what we did. And from those first
0: customers to 1 million ARR, uh, how long did that take? And let's say, aside from getting the feedback and SEO, was there anything else that you did to kind of uh, get there?
1: Yeah, you know, there were many things early on that we did to I, I think we did like hack, hacky things, social hacky things, I would say, is we would even go on Twitter and we would just comment on other people's comments that they had. So we would reply to anybody that said, hey, I'm not happy with Jira or I'm not happy with Asana. We would literally go on there And they say, hey, we have this new tool. We'd love to get you onboarded. We'll do it for free. Come on over. And so we we would kind of just like handpick our own customers uh, out of that. Um, As far as timeline goes, it took us uh, about a year to get to a million ARR. Cool.
0: So you're doing things that didn't scale, as uh, like Paul Graham would would say, like uh, at that stage.
1: We did things that didn't scale. We even reached out to, we would go to... uh, Captera and there's other feedback platforms that, that people rate pieces of software. And some of them show your name on them. And so we would look at people that rated other competitors poorly. And then we'd reach out to them on LinkedIn and say, hey, we've got a new product, we'd love for you to try it. So it's very much things that don't scale. But again, it's just about getting you don't need a lot of customers you can you can you can do this stuff a day an hour a day set an hour a day of sourcing your own customers and you'll get their customers and people are are very much you know not everybody's going to have time to engage with you but Most people we reached out to were actually pretty pretty engaged. They really wanted to give something else a chance. You've got to find the right people for sure. You can't cast a massive net at first and just target anybody. You've really got to target the people that have the problems, the pain points that you're solving, and that's that's a really important uh, niche to focus on, a, a segment to focus on. Is find the people that have the problems that you are solving, and. This, is, this seems very obvious, but solve problems that you are intimately familiar with. You can't solve problems well if you haven't been through those same problems and experienced those same pain points yourself.
0: What would you say was the hardest part uh, about the phase of getting you know from zero to one million?
1: The revenue itself is, is the hardest. I think the, the product, at least for me as a product founder, came really easy. Um, the revenue side is, is the part to, to figure out how do you price things? How do you get people to pay? Where do you package it from a paywall and positioning perspective? There is a ton to get right, and there's a ton that you can get wrong. And and frankly, early on, you, you don't have resources to figure out and run massive pricing tests. You don't have experimentation frameworks to know what pricing and positioning works. So it's up to you. We ran surveys. And I love surveys early on. Like we ran a survey for everything. We would ask people how much do you want to pay for ClickUp. I think you know people would tell me like, hey, nobody's, everybody's going to say they want to pay free. And and that's just not true. People would actually tell you like what they think is reasonable. Um, customers are generally going to be very honest with you, even when they're not customers, just potential customers are going to be generally very honest with you. So that's the hardest piece to figure out. It really is, is how do you price things? How do you get people to pay? Where do you paywall? What packaging and pricing do you put together? And what plans do you, do you call it? That stuff is is difficult, and it takes a lot of of just intuition. I think that there's some luck element with it for sure, but it also takes a lot of research. What does your competitors l- look like? How are they positioning? How are they packaging? What are your potential customers think? Talk talk to them. Get to, get to know them, and then once you figure that stuff out, it's still that's 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 somewhat the easier part. The hard part is now actually getting the people to pay. And we, I think one of our near death experiences was we were, we, we ran out of money and I'm not generally the finance person, at least at that time, I was not the person that was paying attention to finances. We didn't have a person paying attention to finances. We were focused on product. When I got a notification that our bank account was over overdrafted, I was like, shit, um, we don't really, I've got a little bit more money personally, but that's it. And so I put that money into the business And that forced me to stop focusing on product and to focus on product market fit, to focus on how do we get revenue. And really, I just implemented more paywalls. And I also ran promotions. I ran promotions to customers and said, hey, it's... It's Halloween. Let's do a 30% promotion. Please pay pay us. These are the things that we promise we'll get you there. We know we're not there yet, but we'll build these things and we'll, we'll get there at some point and we'll grandfather you into to this, this pricing. So that's what, what enabled us to really start having revenue. And within that month, we literally had a cash flow positive business.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Th- thanks for sharing that. So from zero to one million, uh, taking one year, one million to 10 million ARR. How long did that take and what did you need to do differently?
1: Yeah, there's, there's, look, there's a lot of things that you need to do differently at 1 million to, to 10 to 10 million. But I think the, and, and by the way, it took us that, that next year we were, we were, we were above, above 10 million a- ARR. Um, you know, I think the things to understand, it's like we talked about those things that don't scale. Right. And the things that don't scale, Generally, at a million ARR, that's when that's when you start to realize that. And so, we, you know, those, those methods early on of us continually reaching out to customers that didn't work that didn't work anymore. So, from a million to ten million ARR, I would say it's more about figuring out the things that do scale, but putting in those loops. You can still try a bunch of shit, right? You can still try and experiment things and shoot for the moon but you really have to figure out a way to scale those things so that you're not manually doing them and so that you are not doing them yourselves and and i think that like examples of those those things are instead of you know creating writing blogs myself we create a machine of of blogs where we have a, an seo person that was writing content that at first we just contracted and then we built in a cms so that they could automatically post them without having you know it touches touches from us, and then instead of me manually researching all of the SEO and and keywords, um, I started teaching people how how to do that. So it's it's really I I think too often, at least back when it was good times in venture capital founders didn't do enough of of the work in their company. They really focused on one thing or they focused on a couple of things. I think from 0 to 1 million founders should do everything. Every single thing you should get your your hands in. And then from 1 million to 10 million, it's about kind of pulling your hands out of a lot of a lot of that stuff and putting setting scalable foundation there from that 1 million to 10 million ARR. And if you can do that, then you you've really found your your sweet spot of being able to do what you can't replace like what what are you good at and some every founder is different but i th- i firmly believe you have to be intimately involved with the product to in in a product led growth company the founder really has to be involved deeply in the product at least one of one of the founders and outside of that you know you've got to build scalable systems to get to get you beyond 10 million ARR. Definitely,
0: definitely. Moving into our, our quick-ish fire round, um, what one thing uh, has moved the needle the most for your career?
1: Well, I think w- what I always preach to our employees is growing 1% every day. And I like live, sleep, and breathe 1% ev- every day. There are too many always and infinitely expanding priorities that people have and that companies have. And it's a myth that, you know, as you grow and you get more and more employees, you'll be able to offload everything. And like that's just that's just not true. Like the reality is that you're gonna have bigger and bigger problems as you grow. You'll be able to hire people to solve a lot of the problems that you're seeing right now, but then you're just gonna get bigger and bigger and bigger problems. So the point I'm making is that I think the the most important thing is to focus on just doing one percent every day. And 1% is obviously an arbitrary number. It's you, you can't measure it in many ways. But the point is doing incremental things that improve your company, yourself, uh, your personal life, your growth. And over time, that shit compounds. So you don't have to take this huge objective that you have and think, shit it's going to take me three years to do this instead break it down into really small pieces and just do a little bit every day and you learn so much along that way but you also feel like you're growing you feel like you, instead of feeling like you're never going to get there you're never going to you're never going to finish this thing you actually do see tangible progress
0: can you give a, a, an example specific to yourself for your personal growth where you are growing one percent uh every day
1: I do a lot of routines every single every single day that that check the box on the one percent. So there, so that I always, always, always feel like I have some type of growth every day. So a couple of examples, of those are I journal every single day, and I usually have one thing that I'm working on that I put inside of my my journal every every single day. Uh, one of the things I'm working on right now is. Uh, being kind and firm at the same at the same time. And f- founders, you've you've got to be firm and you've got to be direct and you've got to hold a really high bar. But it's also important to give feedback in a way that that is kind and that supports supports the um, employee. And honestly, so, sometimes I do it on the firm side without without the optimistic outlook to it. And I think that's really important. So every single day, I'm I'm taking something like that in my journal if I'm doing good then I'm checking it off and I'm moving on to something else if I'm not doing good then I keep it top of mind and I keep focus focusing there and the the other things I, I do is I'm I very big on uh, mindfulness and meditation I I do it 10 minutes a day and that's it I I'm not the person that can stop thinking for 10 minutes. I'm actually sitting there and and it's my it's my way of, of meditating, but I'm just sitting there and thinking. And I'll think about a lot of a lot of things and then I'll get to a point where I I write a couple things down. I'm like, oh shit, I needed to change this or I didn't do this right yesterday. That's that's where like my table stakes growth comes from, where I feel, okay, I just checked the box on that. At least I've got something for the day. And then everything else is is a bonus after that. So if you go through a day where your day becomes very it's very challenging. You're hit with a bunch of problems. You feel like you're just answering notifications all day. Maybe that those days are going to happen a lot, but if you if you check the box on the table stake stuff, that those personal things that I was talking about, you at least still feel like you grew every day.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Uh what's the hardest thing about being a CEO?
1: It's different based on the scale of of your business. Uh, uh, Early on, the the hardest thing is nailing product, and that's that's what you. you, you, If you don't have a product, you don't have a business. So nailing product over time, it becomes nailing revenue. How how do you create a sustainable company, and how do you get people to pay for it? At our scale today, the hardest thing about CEO is is people. It's a company, especially a large company, really is. Is just a, it's a, it's an equation of the people that you've you've added to your company, and there is no easy way of teaching you how to uh, manage people, how to hire people, how to build a leadership team. You you learn by doing, as ma- as with many things in life, you learn by doing. So you're going to make a lot of mistakes. I certainly have made a lot of a lot of hi- hiring mistakes. I learn from them and grow from them and try to build the the best or organization possible a- around us. And you still make mistakes. And that that's that's totally fine. I'm not the person that's like fail, fail, fail. I don't I don't think that that's that's a great mindset to be to be in. But you know, when when you do make a mistake, at least learn from it. Everything happens for a reason Is is the thing that I that I always tell myself.
0: Uh, like, like we mentioned at the beginning, you're, you're coming over to Dublin uh, for the first time, speaking at SASTOP for the first time, uh, uh, and I think you're speaking on the 19th uh, uh, of October. What will you be speaking about? Uh, what, what are you looking forward to most?
1: I'm really looking forward to meeting everybody, especially on that side of the world. I've met a lot of um, customers, entrepreneurs, employees, and people that have uh, fellow uh, built, built companies companies that are complementary to ours on this side of the world. And so I'm really excited to do it on on that side of, of the world also. And I look, like, I think it's when when people get together, there is there is like magic that happens. I I am I'm, I'm a big believer in hybrid work. Right? I love I love remote work and, and hybrid work. But there you don't develop real relationships with people over Zoom. You develop artificial relationships. And in real life is where you develop those real relationships. So... I'm really excited to develop real relationships with people and get, get to meet people in person. Uh, as far as what I'm what I'm speaking about, I think we're, we're going to do a fireside chat and and talk about a lot of things from the early days, um, the struggles that we've had, how we found solutions to those struggles, and some of the secrets that we've unlocked for scaling for the future from a growth acquisition perspective, but also from a product perspective.
0: Awesome. Very much looking forward to that. I think you're... Um... Uh, moderator or the person that's interviewing you is uh, Tom Lyons from the Currency, so he's a, a, a great person to uh, be in conversation with. What, what about? Uh, I mean, if you have one, what's your favorite business book? Um, that yeah, that you can think of that you could share.
1: The hard one. You know, I love the Everything Store. Um, it's a it's about Amazon and Jeff Jeff Bezos. Uh, High Growth Handbook was also really helpful for me. I think the the Thing about high growth handbook is you should read it a few times, like over the course of how your business changes. But that helped give me answers to questions that, that I had nobody else had answers to. I didn't, I didn't, I learned a lot, really learned a lot from from high growth uh, handbook. Uh, Slight Edge also is one that we get, not really a business book, but it's more of like that 1% a day mentality. That's one that we have all of our employees read.
0: Very cool. Slight Edge, did you say?
1: Yep, Slight Edge. Jeff, Jeff Olson, I believe.
0: Okay, we'll have to check that out. The Everything Store has come up a few times. Can't believe i still not read that, so I, I, I need to uh, um, uh, pick it up uh, at some point. Well, Zeb, really looking forward to meeting you in person in Dublin. Uh, obviously, the listeners that are coming uh, can uh, can meet you there, and uh, I'm sure they'll be able to to spot you. Um, where can people find you online if they're not coming or if they wanted to reach out?
1: Yeah, li- LinkedIn, uh, Zeb Evans, and I'm at Twitter at DJ Curfew
0: very good uh, and what dj curfew was that a for, former dj
1: name my it is a former dj name i was a, a dj in high school i worked for a local radio station and i had a curfew at midnight so i would have to routinely pack up early from uh, events that i was doing in order to get home for my curfew so i was given that as as a nickname and it kind of stuck with me
0: very cool very cool good stuff well Zed, thanks so much for being a guest on the, the SAS revolution show so many lessons and learnings there really appreciate you sharing that with the SaaS.com community. We'll see you in Dublin in a few weeks, uh, I think on the 19th of October specifically. Uh, thanks so much, Zeb Evans, CEO, founder of, uh, of ClickUp.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Alex.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SaaS.com conferences around the world. Want exclusive SaaS content and actionable insights to grow your SaaS? Join our community of over 36,000 SaaS founders at sastop.com.